Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in a hotel room in Parts Unknown. How are you, Lance? You are not kidding. There's nothing uh, CD going on. This is a hotel room, not a motel room. We're uh, we're doing some casework, and it's going pretty well. Feeling good. How are you? I'm great. And yes, we're on location, a secret location. It's but we will say it's not Massachusetts. It's not Massachusetts. Uh, it's also not New Hampshire. It's not New Hampshire, but um, it's a double letter. And we'll leave it at that. Okay. And you guys do the math. All right. And so for this interview, Lance, today, we have the women, the doctors from Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey, Megan Saxon, Amy Schlossberg, and they talk about the case of Melanie McGuire. And of course, uh, these two, they do a podcast called Direct Appeal, which is all about Melanie McGuire, who is a convicted killer. She was convicted of murdering her husband, Lance. She is also known as, you might remember, the suitcase murders. So his body was dismembered, uh, sawed up with a reciprocating saw and put into suitcases and found. And she was the prime suspect and she's doing life in prison right now. And uh, it's a really, really crazy case, especially listening to Amy and Megan talk about it because they have their opinions, they have their professional opinions, they also have their personal opinions, and they they approach this with you know their their doctor's hat on, uh, and, but they're they're totally real about it. You know they don't speak a lot of clinical talk. Uh, they're really sort of conflicted about the whole thing. It is really uh, sort of a spider web of a case. I have no, I don't know what to make of it this early on in in talking to the experts. I know my my opinion changed during the interview a couple of times, so we kind of keep uh, track of that as. It- goes um it is a fun interview with these two um wonderful people and uh, i mean the case is gruesome it's uh it's but it's interesting and so they've actually interviewed melanie in prison and she is sort of giving them a shot to do whatever they can try to shake something loose uh she said apparently that the system hasn't worked for her so she might as well try something different and that happened to be this podcast called Direct Appeal. Against her lawyer's advice. Right. And, yeah, I mean, if, if it hasn't worked for her so far, why you know, why not try something like this? So they were lucky enough to get that, and they were professional enough to maintain that relationship, which is awesome. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what to make of this. I mean, even as we're sitting here talking about it in the in the open, there's some things about this case that stand out like, oh, wow, she definitely did this because who? why else? Who else would have done this? And then there's other things that you're just like, well, how did somebody commit murder so effectively who's never committed murder before with kids around and, and just the way his body was dismembered? Like, how did that even happen with nothing to go on when you're, uh, you know, searching the, the the house or any of her belongings? It's really crazy. Yeah, it is a really bizarre case. So, uh, so definitely check out the podcast Direct Appeal and come to the American Crime Festival in Wildwood, New Jersey, November 8th, 9th, and 10th, 2019, because Amy and Megan are going to be there. They're going to be doing a panel, or actually more of a presentation, yeah. on this uh, on this case and about their podcast. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be great, Lance. Yeah, they're going to bring something different to the table when it comes to just simply talking about a case. Uh, they're really engaging, and they really work well uh, with the audience. So if you want to ask some questions... They'll have a Q&A, but they're open to questions after their presentation or before their presentation. They really want to get this uh, case out there, get Melanie's story out there, whether or not she's guilty. I mean, if she is guilty, then you're talking about someone who murdered their husband. If she's not, then you have to advocate for somebody who's been wrongfully in prison. And that's uh, sort of the sort of the rub. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. Yeah. So come to the American.
American Crime Festival. Check it out. There's going to be a lot of amazing panels, and the schedule is going to be posted this week. I think it should be posted by the time you are listening to this. So go to toggle on over to AmericanCrimeFest.com. Check out the schedule. You will be blown away by the panels and presentations that we have, and you just got to buy a ticket and come see us in Wildwood, New Jersey. Yeah, big announcement, the schedule. You'll see what's going on on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday, and you'll see that you get your catered breakfast, you get your catered lunch, and you get to see all sorts of professionals in this field. And us. And we'll be floating around, probably drunk. <laughs> okay, so check out Direct Appeal. Make sure to go to AmericanCrimeFest.com. And don't forget to come see us in Brooklyn on October 5th. It's coming up real soon. We're doing a, a show with True Crime Obsessed and Maggie Freeling. If you're a fan or if you've watched the Oxygen documentary, The Disappearance of Maura Murray, or our docuseries with James Renner, Finding Maura Murray, you are going to be want to be at that show. Trust me on that. Because if you've ever seen one of their live shows, one of Patrick and Jillian's live shows, what they do is they take the current true crime fad, the, whether it's a uh, Netflix series or something, and then they sort of roast it. They give their take on it, their comedic take on it, and that's what they're going to do with the Oxygen series, and that's what they're going to do with our documentary. So all we can do right now is really steal ourselves. I've been doing that for the better part of three weeks, just getting myself prepped for this mentally and physically. And we're going on like less than two weeks to go And it's going to be a wild ride And I do not mean that uh, metaphorically (laughs) It is going to be a lot of fun So check that out There are links in the show notes for all of this stuff So thank you very much for listening And we really hope you enjoy this interview with Amy and Megan Welcome to Crawl Space, Doctors Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. What is going on? Hey. Hey, guys. I had no idea that you were doctors. I have to leave the room. <laughs> we, yeah. We're very, very impressed by your titles. Oh, thank you. My friend's kids aren't. Like, one time they were like, well, what are you a doctor of? And I'm like, uh, like social science. And they're like, do you have a stethoscope? I'm like, no, not that kind of doctor. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could send you a, a crawl space stethoscope if you want. That's pretty cool, actually. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll just uh, steal one from uh, the next doctor's visit one of us has, and we'll slap a crawl space sticker on it. Which will be in, like, 20 years. Mail it to you. Yep. <laughs> Actually, we don't have to mail. We can just hand deliver it to you at the American Crime Festival in Wildwood, New Jersey, this November 9th and 10th, 2019. You are all going to be there, and you're going to be doing a presentation on Melanie's case, Melanie McGuire. Yes, we are so excited. Yes. Thank you for the invite. Yes. 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 Well, thank you for agreeing to uh, to take part in it and spread the word about Melanie's case, which is your primary focus of your of your podcast. I want to go back real quick and just say that you both are doctors. Uh, Megan, you earned your PhD at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Oh, pardon, pardon uh, us. Pardon us. Yeah. As did Amy. <laughs> Earned a uh, PhD at the same college. Oh, pardon so, us. Were you guys in the same uh, class? Were you? And while you were earning these PhDs, were you like, "We're going to take this to the podcasting uh, universe"? 
No, we were in different cohorts. Megan was before me, right? Two yeah, I was two me? years ahead of Amy, but I, we knew each other. We just weren't in the same group, but we used to see each other in like the lounge, yeah, you know, the, the, lounge. The, the computer lounge and the, the computer space, you know, so we knew each other, but you know, we weren't BFF. No, we reconnected like what? Five well, years. It was after. when Amy applied. Uh, she applied to work at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and it was so funny because my it was my second year here, and I was like, I'm gonna hire someone that's just totally different than me, <laughs> like, you know, complete opposite in every way. And I wound up hiring someone who we're pretty similar. It's like so. a, it's like a carbon copy of you. You both work at the same university, uh, the Fairleigh Dickinson University, and you both um, are experts in the same field serial killers psychology all that no we have different so the difference is so i got my master's in forensic psych megan got her master's in criminal justice so there's a little bit of a difference we're sitting so close there. <laughs> there's, um, um, there's, but we do research in different areas we teach and i teach uh, wrongful convictions i teach uh, offender reentry, race and crime i do not teach serial killers like megan Ah. Yeah, I focus on serial killers, probation and parole, and I really like women in crime, as you might have guessed already. That's become one of my main focus areas. Well, that's uh, that's some noble stuff that you have going on there. The, the reentry is uh, a, a difficult topic, I, I can imagine. Um, yes, I love teaching reentry, and I also work with a lot of people on the outside when they come home from prison, and it is it's such rewarding work. It's wonderful. Oh, great. Yeah. So not the kind of work where you're stressed out. You're just uh, you're you're happy to to help. Well, I wouldn't say I'm not stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a walk in the park. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all is good here. No, no, it's great. I think it's really cool to work with offenders when they're reentering. Um, I think it's uh, we have a number of them who will come and speak to our classes. They um, have written for my books. They are willing to do a lot to give back and seeing where they began. And where they end up, it's uh, it's really quite amazing for us and for students, especially who are going into the field. Absolutely. So, what do you um, what do you talk to them about? What do what do you help guide them with? Well, I wouldn't say we guide them. I don't think I guide them as much. Maybe Amy a little bit more More academically, because I teach I teach in prison. So, a lot of my students who are students on the inside when they come home, I'll help them maybe figure out like grad school or work stuff. but it's definitely, you know, when they come to talk to our classes here, it's more just, you know, where they came from, how they got involved in the criminal justice system, and then, you know, what life has been like since for them. And we also take our students with us into prison to talk to some of the inmates. Um, so it's nice for the students to talk to people inside, but then also be able to talk to people that are coming home. Yeah. So what's that like for them going into prisons and everything? You know, it's kind of interesting. They they act. Um, it's very different when they walk in uh, versus when they walk out. Yeah. When they initially walk in, you can tell there's like, uh, you know, kind of nerves and excitement, but also a little bit of tension. And, you know, when they walk into a room with the lifers uh, who are, you know, convicted of murder, you can tell that they're nervous and they sit down and they're quiet. And by the end of the hour, once we've done like a Q&A session, they're like so relaxed, they're talking to them. You know, they realize like, okay, we're in a room with people. It's cool. It's all good, yeah. you know. So it's a very, um, it's pretty eye-opening, I hate to say, but it is for them. Yeah, yeah I, I can imagine that that's what you want though, right? That you want some sort of uh, lasting effect there. Absolutely. Yeah, we can't, we can teach them all we want, but right. that's, 
nothing's gonna that experience for them there's nothing that i can teach them that'll take the place of that yeah and it's also nice just for them to see that you know people aren't always what they seem right you're not what you are on paper and you know like megan said you see someone who's sitting up there and they're all tatted up and they're six three big guy and you walk in and you're nervous to talk to them and then next thing you know you guys are talking about like puppies and flowers you know and you're like oh you know you can connect with them on a different level i don't know I, I love it. We don't really talk about puppies or flowers. <laughs> but... That was my next question. How often are you talking about <laughs> You well, have a PhD? A yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, PhD stands for puppies, hydrangeas, yep. daffodils, and right? daffodils. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, really, what does PhD stand for? It is a doctor of philosophy. Oh, but it's not. That's okay. So PH is stands for the philosophy, I guess. <laughs> and D is doctorate. I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. I knew, I knew the doctorate part. <laughs> okay. I like puppies, hydrangeas, and daffodils. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be in Dalmatians. Or Dalmatians, right. yep. Right. Yep. Okay. But, uh, so you two are doing a podcast called Direct Appeal, and it is excellent. So congratulations on that and producing it and getting it out there. It's really it's really wonderful to listen to. And Thank you, you. And you cover the case of Melanie McGuire, who is an incarcerated prisoner, and you guys are trying to find out if she is actually guilty, is actually the killer that she is con- was convicted to be. That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly what it, it is. It's kind of... Her, you know, it's a play on uh, a direct appeal in the courts, but it's her direct appeal to the public and to us to look into the case. And the goal ultimately is to get as close to the truth as we possibly can, which is, you know, figuring out innocence or guilt. Now, do you think that the media had anything to do with her incarceration? Because since 2007, when when she was sentenced, it was dubbed the suitcase murders. And when you put some sort of uh, tag like that on any crime or even a, a criminal like a serial killer like Son of Sam who we just talked about, it it takes it to another level that doesn't feel real. So the suitcase killer and then you find out it's a woman, like that is a really juicy uh, headline to grab onto. Do, what kind of effect did that have? Well, you also have to take into account that she was an attractive woman and she yep. was cheating on her husband. So the media had a field day with this, you know? Yep. So I think I think that was definitely an issue in the trial because they did not change venues. They they did not even put a motion in, if I remember correctly. No, no change of venue. And it was on court TV. It was very I mean, that's oh, not wow. the kind of area where these things happen. People all are blogging about it all the time. Yeah. There's, you know, lots that lots being said about her and her appearance, those cold yeah. eyes. It was a media circus. So yeah. yeah, I definitely think the suitcase killer definitely had part of it, but I think just the fact that they vilified her. Um, the way they did, right? Yeah, it happens with women in particular, too. When women commit crimes that are uh, kind of cross our gender uh, expectations and gender norms. And when they, uh, along with that, also, you know, have an affair, because that's kind of a gender, you know, issue. Um, when women do it, they kind of become the bad, you know, a bad woman, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I think, um, you know, she became vilified because of those, like, issues. Yeah, that's an interesting point. When you look back at uh, the crimes of um, Tanya Harding, she was, you know, she's this woman who um, who attacked or hired somebody to, to attack Nancy Kerrigan and uh, Joey Buttafuoco, uh, the Amy Fisher story. You know, that Just was- so you know, Joey Buttafuoco lived in my hometown. Oh, <laughs> ah. no kidding. 
Did you ever um, see him around? I tour when I take people around, and that's the Betafuco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was. Um, but yeah, so okay, so there's kind of to my point there. Like now, it's it's almost a celebrity status. You you point out the home where this crime happened, and even uh, who's the teacher in New Hampshire? Um, Pamela Smart. Yeah, you talk about Pamela Smart. It, it the, that movie uh, to die for with Nicole yep. Kidman that was based on that. Yep. Plus, yep. I guess a couple of other like TV movies and stuff, but. It is interesting to look at how many men commit crimes that just go under the radar, and then a woman creates a crime, or a woman uh, maybe uh, commits a crime. Maybe commits a crime, right? A crime. Yeah, let me take that back. A woman is in, involved in a, a crime, in a murder. Maybe is involved in a crime, <laughs> in a murder. A woman is associated with a murder, and then all of a sudden the media grabs onto that and makes it into a celebrity thing. What's the rules with that? What you can, why can you allow the media to go in on one case and not in on another case? And how did it make it on court TV? Oh, I mean, I think it had all the elements to make it to court TV. Like we had said, like she's an attractive woman. She's not your typical suspect. She's a nurse. She's having an affair with her boss. Um, She's got this kind of famed lawyer. I mean, it had all the ingredients for TV. It's really um, whether or not a case makes it to television is usually it's an issue for judicial discretion. It's usually up to the presiding judge to determine what kind of media they will allow, if any. So it's really, you know, case the, by case. The judge was just like, yeah, free for all. Open the doors. Yeah. Some judges feel that way. I mean, yeah. some will say, yeah, let's air it all. Let's have everything be transparent. Others will, um, some won't like that media presence because it's too much and it can interfere with the case. But in this case, it seemed like it, it already had the perfect cocktail for this media explosion. Yeah. And so there was kind of no stopping it by the time it got to trial, right? I think so. Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, it's a famed case. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be uh, it have national fame in the way that, like, say, Casey Anthony's case does, but certainly in our uh, no, parts. No, it was pretty national. It was a national case. Well, it, a little, it was, well, but people don't remember. Yeah, it not. was famous here, and it was famous then, so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Where did it happen? In uh, New, So we're in New Jersey, so, um, but, <laughs> well, here's the thing. So I'm, it, it's debatable where it happened, so, uh Melanie and Bill were from Woodbridge, New Jersey, and the prosecution's theory was that he was killed in New Jersey, but that his body was transported to Virginia. Okay, and so his body was found in Virginia in Chesapeake Bay? Correct. Mm-hmm. So where it happened, I mean, they're from New Jersey, so they'll say the crime originated here. And New Jersey. Jersey ended up getting jurisdiction over the case? Yeah. Oh, Virginia okay. Beach gave it to New Jersey. So Okay, because, you take right? it. Body was found in Virginia Beach, but New Jersey ended up taking the case because that's where he resided. Now, Virginia took the case initially, but I got the distinct impression that they didn't want it, to be honest. Well, yeah, yeah it feels like something that um, they didn't ask for. So they were like, we don't want this. Uh, how was his body transported to Virginia? It depends who you ask. Um, according to the prosecution, Melanie drove it to Virginia in suitcases. In three separate suitcases. Is that really what happened? Who the hell knows? I don't know. I don't think that makes any sense. I don't think that's plausible. I don't think that's how it happened, but... So he his body was found in suitcases. Now, yes. d- tell me how rare that is uh, for a woman to um, dismember a man and, and put him in suitcases like that. 
the rarest. It it doesn't happen. Um, there are bodies. It's true that men have done it to get rid of uh, uh, women or other people, and it's it's done as a method of disposal. Um, it's not done because people say like it's malicious and whatnot. It's very upsetting, and of course, it's devastating to the victim's family. But it's not done for that purpose. It's done for disposal purposes, and for a woman to do it, I've almost never. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of another case. Other well, not than to one. mention the physical strength that would have taken That's, to yeah. not only dismember the body in the manner it was dismembered, but also get rid of the body. The suitcases. What the heaviest suitcase was eighty pounds. No, the heaviest suitcase was actually ninety-five pounds. Heaviest suitcase was ninety-five pounds. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know where the suitcases were dumped into the water? That's a really interesting point. So they had an oceanographer who had testified about the currents because the prosecutor said that she kind of threw them from the bridge um, on top of the bridge. I don't think they could clearly establish that it was from the top of the bridge, to be honest. And my guess is, well, I'll, I'll reveal my final theories in our last episode, but my guess is that it was not. I don't think the suitcases were tossed off the bridge. Okay. I believe they were. They were not tossed off the bridge. I'll just say that for now. They were, they were dropped they were off the tossed, bridge. Sorry, if they were tossed off the bridge, it's also shocking that no one would see it because it was even if it happened in the middle of the night, like the prosecutor contends, it's still a very busy bridge. It's a big bridge. Yeah. Okay. How was Bill murdered? Well, Bill was shot. So he was shot a few times. He had a bullet wound to the head. Um, he had a bullet and bullet wounds two or three to the abdomen and the chest area. So he was initially shot and then he was dismembered after. Now, we're... And you say two or three, though, because there's varying reports say different things. Yeah. So the reason why is because there are actually it looks like there are four bullet holes or wounds, but only two bullets were recovered. And so there was testimony that there was possibly like a bounce back effect, but they couldn't locate the other bullets. So there are definitely four wounds, but I don't know how many bullets. I imagine that part of the investigation involved taking those bullets and trying to match them to a gun that Mm -hmm. Melanie uh, owned or maybe Bill owned or was in the, the household and that maybe they went into the house and looked for bullet bullet holes in the walls or something to match them to the holes that uh, did not contain bullets in his body. Was, was that part of the investigation? Well, they found nothing in that apartment, nothing, um, besides the fact that they didn't find bullet fragments or bullet holes. They also found zero forensic evidence. So if the body's dismembered somewhere, I don't care how good you're cleaning up. Wasn't I there. Can't, that's a whole other issue. Um, but, yes, they did have a gun. According to Melanie, um, she bought a gun a couple of days before Bill was killed. She admits she bought the gun. She claims she bought it for Bill. Um, the gun was for, never found. They did him? find the case. <clears throat> Sorry to like interrupt. A gift? Yeah, no. like for to, to, for him to give to him or for him to use? Well, he, had a, <laughs> he had a felony record, so he could ah. not purchase a gun himself legally. So according to Melanie, and he did have the felony record, that's confirmed, but... According to Melanie, Bill had asked her to purchase the gun for him, and she claims she did, and she claims that he must have taken it with him when he stormed out on her the night of this big fight that they had. And um, there's also some debate as to whether or not the bullets even match that gun, and how relevant is that anyway? I don't, I'm not sure, because the, during the trial, they claimed that the bullets matched the gun. However, it, you want to talk a little bit about the expert, the gun expert? Yeah, you know, the experts went back and forth on it and said that um, 
uh, afterwards, though, this was after the fact, they said uh, she has experts and we consulted an independent expert who says that the rifling characteristics on her gun don't actually match the gun that was used to kill Bill. Um, and they could tell that from the bullets, the lands and grooves. So this has become an issue now, whether or not it could even have been the gun. Oh, what, what, is, what does that mean, rifling characteristics? So it's lands and grooves are like the characteristics, like they bore into the bullet when a bullet is um, fired. So on some guns, uh, there are a num- you know there are different numbers of lands and grooves. So on hers, it was typical uh, of her uh, model weapon that she had. It was typical for there to be five lands and grooves um, bore into the uh, gun, into the barrel of it, and so you can tell that when the bullet comes out. But on uh, the bullets that they found in Bill's body, there were six, hmm. which is different. Yeah, and so that's kind of like the fingerprint of the the bullet or gun. Wow, that was that was well said. Yes, yeah. there you go. Thanks. I guess I could have just said that. Thanks so much. Tim's got a PhD now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Honorary PhD. So, what kind of weapon was this? A uh, Taurus. Yeah, Taurus, a thirty-eight. Okay, so it was like a revolver or an automatic. Yes. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Did uh, did Melanie's boyfriend slash boss own a gun? No, they were able to check him out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, he also ended up, you know, testifying for the prosecution. He wore a wire, um, and my, you know, my favorite part of the story, you know. Um, anyway, he wore a wire, and he clearly had nothing to do with it. They were able to quickly rule him out. I would say that 100%. I think he had nothing to do with it, 100%. Okay. Uh, we'll get back to, to your favorite part of the story, because that's interesting. Uh, no, I but, don't want to. Okay. Uh, <laughs> did they do any, um, like, uh, ballistic tests on her? Like, any gunpowder residue on her hand or anything? Or was it too late? No. Because it was too late, okay. um, Bill, um, his body was found a couple of weeks after. So, and she was. wasn't even a suspect right away. By the time they started um, looking in on her, they there wasn't even really surveillance videos left in a lot of places where she claimed she was. So that was one of the big issues is they didn't start investigating Melanie for so long. How long was it, Megan? That they started investigating her. Yeah, after, oh, I mean, I don't guessing. know when they actually began, but I mean, it was informally they probably began. <laughs> Definitely a couple of months had passed. Oh, oh wow. wow. Okay. So yeah. that that kind of worked against her potentially that they didn't if investigate her right away. Yeah, if she's depends. innocent. I was going to say, <laughs> it depends which way you look yeah. at it. I mean, you know, I've asked her things like that, like what worked for you, what worked against you, and then should, the answer she'll always come back to is clearly nothing worked for me because right. I'm in prison for life. <laughs> yeah. so. Right. Um, Apologies for getting into the minutia on this, but who owned the suitcases? Were they proven to? Okay, they were proven to be Melanie's. Okay, so they they were there. Yeah, so they they were were moving. They closed on a house that night that he went. Apparently, the night that he left. So they apparently were packing up and they were moving stuff. So if he had suitcases in his car, it seemed like that could have been, you know. I don't know. They could have been reasonable to believe that he had suitcases packed up in his car. At first, she said she didn't know if the suitcases were there, theirs, and she said, "Oh, they're probably what you know. They were probably ours. It was like three pieces that belonged to a set." It was a Kenneth Cole. It was kind of a nondescript though. It was either dark green or black. Um, and she, at first, when it was asked, she was shown a picture, and she said, 
I don't know, that could be ours. Um, she said that she went home and looked for the, this is what she said, she went home and looked for the suitcases and realized that theirs were gone. And she said she called and, and told them, yes, those, I think those were our suitcases. Okay. Uh, and what was he uh, convicted for, for by having a felony record? So Bill had a a lot of a lot of driving um, violations, like more speeding tickets than I mean, something like upwards of 30 tickets. And he was driving one night. It's not like a long, convoluted story, but essentially he was driving. He got pulled over. He was going to lose his license. It was going to be like a big to do this time. And so he had asked her to lie for him and say it wasn't him driving. I'm not really sure that the story is a little different um, depending on who tells it, but essentially they were going to lie and say someone else was driving the car. And what happened was at the time his roommates uh, got wind of it and they called the cops uh, to tell the cops what was going on. I think because they were concerned about Melanie getting in trouble because she had agreed to lie for him in some way. Um, And so they both got, a conviction. Melanie got misdemeanor um, and he got a felony. And I don't know if it was perjury or obstructing justice. I can't recall. He also had a record of forging. He had a misdemeanor arrest as well for forgery. Okay. Uh, Now, Bill, the way he was kind of described in the podcast, he he, uh, sort of had a temper and um, was kind of a volatile guy. Is that true? I don't know. I, I would I would say they had a volatile relationship, but I don't know. I, I would think it'd be really unfair to call him volatile without knowing him and without the friends that we contacted having spoken to us. Um, I think that I did read some reports um, that he could be uh, even I think his his friend had said it in a police report. His friend John said he he could. He had an act for kind of pissing people off. Um but I don't know that I would call him volatile. I would stop short of saying he was volatile. Okay. Uh, and how do we know, um, what was the method of dismembering him? Was he sawed up with like a hacksaw? Yeah, I, I have a question about that too. Um, I'm, I'm curious where the prosecution said that happened, the dismemberment That's the happened. problem. They say it was a reciprocating saw and that she did it in her home, which was attached on three sides. It's not true. And her children, her two young children in the home, um, and they found zero forensic evidence. They went back to that place several times. They looked at, they took out piping. They looked everywhere. They found nothing. They didn't find a reciprocating saw. They never found a reciprocating saw. They never found any sort of bone fragments, tissue, blood, nothing. Has anyone ever used a reciprocating saw, just in general? <laughs> I have not. I have not. They're noisy. I don't know what it is. They're noisy. Oh. <laughs> they, they, you use it to like cut through like sheetrock. Okay. I mean, it's, it's like some, a sawzall. Yeah, it's a sawzall. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, they are loud. They're loud. They're, they're on, and you need to plug them in if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So wait, the prosecution offered a theory during <laughs> closing. So yeah. They said she probably muffled it with a towel. <laughs> well, so you sad. can't do that. Yeah, I, I, I feel very confident that you're right, but um, I also feel confident that yeah. I, I, I still can't believe anyone would have listened to that and gone, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And the chill, I mean, I know the children were young, but wouldn't you be afraid that your children would wake up and walk in on this grisly scene? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's hard to even imagine how grisly this would be. I mean, there must be blood everywhere, splashing. <laughs> 
everywhere. When, yes, you know, there when, would be. Yeah. So it's, and if you heard the surgeon testify, Dr. Barone, um, I think he made that pretty clear that this is grisly. This is not something you can clean up. Blood goes everywhere. You have to do this somewhere that you're not worried about blood going everywhere. Not to so mention the woods. The, not to mention the fact that there were four, at least from we know, four gun gunshots. Mm-hmm. So is that happening yeah. in the apartment as well in the townhouse? Well, she oh, yeah, a, she could have had a silencer. In all fairness, I don't uh, think she had a silencer. Well, I don't think so, but I'm just saying that that's more believable for me. The, yeah, you know, so I don't get. It. That's absolutely unbelievable for me. She purchased the gun two days ahead of time. She didn't purchase the silencer, and uh, it's absolutely unfathomable that she shot him in the apartment. And sorry, that yeah. just is. Why did she buy him a gun in the first place? Was he just where they having dinner, and he was like, I could really use a gun. That's a good question. Well, um, he got his headlights stolen a bunch of times, and um, he got his headlights stolen uh, how many times? Out of his car? Headlights of his Nissan Maxima were stolen five times. Someone and went so, up to his car and took his headlights five times. That apparently was actually a thing. I was what? able to verify at the time that like headlights were a valuable commodity <laughs> and were getting stolen out of really? these Nissan Maximas. Yeah, that's incredible. I've never heard it, that. Is that just so coincidental? He wanted it for protection. He claimed he worked. Question. He worked in some rough parts of New Jersey. He worked in Newark um, for some of his jobs, and he claimed he wanted it for protection. Right? I love it. He's like still smiling over <laughs> I there. Can't, like, I after so this, after, I'm like, uh, who gets their headlights stolen? Is, like, is it possible? Because we got a lot of write-in about this too. Was it possible? Maybe he was stealing his headlights. Well, well, um, get and, a get an alarm for your car. Like after after Only the third time, five times. After the third know, time, so you'd be like, "Like, give me a gun or put an alarm in your car." Maybe maybe he knew who was doing it, and it wasn't a random thing. <laughs> what a weird thing to do to somebody. I mean, is it a coincidence though? Five times it can't possibly like, be. That doesn't sound like I it. I think that's a. I think that's. You know, I love he's saying, on it. Though. I know. Parked on the cab yes, ride. Yes, <laughs> I, I think it's a lot to be coincidental, but. Nope, that's, you know, us just speculating. I think you're right. I think speculating would, I think it'd be fair to say you're speculating if it was twice or three times. But five times is kind of obvious. Like, there's something else going on here. Yeah, how common? No, it was five times. It's incredible. So, like, every Nissan Maxima driving down the street at that, you know, in that area, in in those years, like, was going to get followed and their headlights stolen? Like, that's really hard to believe so like it, what it sounds like to me is that someone was trying to sort of disable the car it's not cutting the brake line but it is a safety hazard if you don't have your lights on yeah or at the very least just like like messing around with them like maybe he had an enemy and they were, they just wanted to make his now, life inconvenient there was also something um i got some insider knowledge about this that certain gangs would steal certain parts of it wasn't. It was the igniter and certain headlights that could be used for um, homemade guns and stun guns. Oh. So there was a. So there was a reason why they wanted this type of headlight. There was. Okay. It wasn't the headlight people were after. It was the igniter. But in order to get to the igniter, you had to take the headlight. And you know what? If someone went in and took his headlights and the igniter once, and then they were like, "Well, this guy's not paying attention to his car," and then they went again, <laughs> I'm sure they spread the word to their other friends, and they were like, "You can literally go to that guy's car." Any time of the day and take his yeah. headlights and igniter because he doesn't give a shit. I don't know. I think it's just insurance fraud. I don't know why he would pick something like headlights, but because he wrote it off on his taxes. Oh, like, he as did. A, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> How wow. bizarre. That's just one of those I, details, huh? I know. I love it when we talk to people like this and they have a case going on and then this one random detail pops up that just like sticks with you. You're like, that is so bizarre. And you end up talking about it for 15 minutes because <laughs> I imagine a lot of people just like say, oh, okay, he got a gun. He was experiencing some vandalism with his car. But then when you really look into it, it's like, what? That doesn't make yeah, much sense. There are so many things about this case that you would say that to. There are so many little things that you're like, wait, well, what? That makes no sense. We harp on these things, too. Amy harps more than I do, but we harp. You should should start a podcast about it. (laughs) (laughs) Good idea. So speaking of your podcast, Direct Appeal, you have uh, interviewed Melanie, the uh, Melanie McGuire, the woman who was convicted in this murder. Um, what is that like speaking with her? So that, that is all me. Um, so I met with her first before we did interviews a couple of times and she's very engaging. She's very personable. Um, you know, she is a great speaker as well. So it's helpful. So I met with her and got the bones of her story before we ever recorded. And then I went out and, you know, started doing interviews, other interviews, um, trying to confirm, disconfirm, you know, trying to see what what was what. And then we started interviewing. Um, I also wanted to interview her a couple of times on because I wanted to see if her story was consistent. Sure. Uh, So I, I was like, you know, I made sure to ask things several times in different ways to see uh, whether, you know, every detail would conform or where would there be a breakdown. Um, The interesting thing for me is that there was never a breakdown. There was, she's been consistent, um, I'd say almost 100%. She's had a lot of time to think about it and rehearse it. Amy and I disagree on this point uh, because I, 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 while I do think that she has had a lot of time, um, it's almost inevitable that every uh, person, especially who gets caught and interviewed, will change something there will be a piece or a part of the story that varies in some way even if you practice because lies are very hard to such small lies are hard to remember especially over a long period of time so from 13 years ago to now um if you think her story is bogus that's fine but it's always been the same so you're saying that the lies will always um at some point there will always be a conflict with the story if they're trying to remember little lies and that's by accident. Is there any, any circumstance where somebody after 13 years will tell a different part just to, just to stimulate conversation, just to, just to bring the attention to the story, bring the the attention back to the story. I mean, I think I've seen that with serial killers, to be honest, um, where they'll, they'll give new details. Um, so, yeah, with some serial killers, people who are really seeking the attention as well for the crimes, per se. Um, but it, that's not been the case with Melanie. Right. Think. So that's not the case with her. Her story has stayed the same from the biggest details to the smallest details. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm saying. It's it stayed the same. So from beginning. now. It, so it sounds like you you both can agree that it's a suspect conviction, but I don't know if you can both agree that it's a wrongful conviction at this point in the interview anyway. I think we can both agree that she didn't get the fairest trial, that there were issues with the trial. I think we can both agree that if we were on that jury, um, we would not have been able to vote guilty just because there's clearly reasonable doubt, right? That burden is clearly met. Yeah. Um, As far as guilt or innocence, I don't think we're going there quite yet. But we definitely yeah. disagree about the way some of the evidence looks. That's yeah. for sure. 
Yeah, mm. I mean, it just seems like like one of those cases that at like from a juror's perspective, like what what is the alternative here? What the hell else could have happened besides well, Melanie doing problem. it? Yeah. That's the problem. It's, it's the hard to imagine. The defense did not give an alternate theory, um, although they said they would. Um, in opening statements, the defense said, you know, hold us to our word. We're going to, you know, they were kind of implying that it was something with his gambling behavior because he had a bit of a history of gambling. Um, but they never really explored that during trial. So the jury was left with, like you said, if not her, then who? So I think that was one of the biggest mistakes in the case is that the defense never put forth an alternate suspect. And they would have had to put forth an alternate suspect and an alternate scenario, which included either that person using his handgun and those bullets or <laughs> of the exact uh, uh, type of gun and exact type of bullets. Right? Also the suitcases. Yeah. And that had to, had to hard, have though. his suitcases. It wasn't that the exact gun either. Mm-hmm. They, cu- they couldn't show it was the exact gun. It could have been a variety of revolvers. Which was a common, a thirty-eight yeah. common, so not an uncommon weapon. Right, okay. And and the, the bullets that came with it are not an uncommon bullet. It would be the well, same bullet that you... wad cutter bullets yeah. are actually somewhat uncommon for um, what they were used for. So, what they were used for, yes, but wad cutter bullets aren't uncommon in that people use them for target practice. Okay, so... She buys the gun and buys these wad cutter bullets. Did they ever find a box of bullets that were missing at least four? No, no. It's probably with the gun somewhere. Yeah. No, oh, no. The gun has never been found, right? Never. No gun, no bullets. She says that Bill took it with him when they had a fight and he left. Okay, so it it's another scenario could be that he left and went gambling, got into some altercation yep. with somebody uh had, per- had the suitcases in his car uh, yep yeah maybe maybe they got into a physical altercation and he was knocked out in some way and then yep. that person decided to to finish him off or something with his own gun yep. yeah people who are you know people who own guns have a higher likelihood of being shot with their what? own gun. you know what i mean like it yeah so it makes it, sense at all it. It, it does though, because if you get in a fight and you pull a gun on someone, they can <laughs> they can pull it right back on you. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, people die at the hands of their own weapons. You know, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I. I. I absolutely believe that. Um. It's just the as our friend Greg Overacker says, it's the law of large numbers. It's going to happen. Yeah. You're you're already opening the door to that. So, wh- what time of night did he leave? Did that did that fight happen and did he take off? She said it was um, around, uh, well, actually, let's see. She said the fight started around 1 or 2 a.m. and that he left somewhere in the neighborhood of about 5 5 a.m. Okay, and he didn't tell her where he was going or anything like that? She was locked in the bathroom, apparently, with her son at the time. She said he was, they they got in a fight, woke up one of the sons who was too young to really recall anything. She grabbed him, she said, went to the bathroom, locked the door, she said that Bill stomped around for a while. She could hear him going through drawers, clearly packing some stuff. And um, still, she said, yelling a bit through the door. And then, you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes later, he left. What was the fight about? And was uh, there any drinking involved? Drug use? There was drinking. It didn't sound like there was a tremendous amount. So apparently they closed on their house that day. And it was a house that Bill had wanted. Um, and Melanie was, as she described, she wasn't excited about it, but she also wasn't, um, 
upset about it, I guess. You know, in her words, she said, fine, it was a house. We'd put our money there. We'd tie up our money. It'd be fine. You know, I, I didn't care either way. She was ambivalent. And um, so they were getting, I guess they were, they had a, they shared a bottle of wine, a red bottle. I think he liked Opus one. Um, and so they shared a bottle of Opus and they fell asleep on the couch, according to Melanie. And when they woke up, she was still doing laundry packing. I mean, she said there were, you know, things everywhere. And uh, she said when she woke up, she said something to him to the effect of, well, you must be really happy. You finally got your house. Um, and she said it actually uh, had the reverse effect where he got very angry with that and was sort of began yelling at her saying, I got this house because you wouldn't move to Virginia with me, which is actually where he wanted to move. He was not from, but had lived in Virginia Beach for a number of years. So I guess it started like that. We only had, you know, we could have been living much better, much um, cheaper, uh, but, you know, you wouldn't leave New Jersey. And she said it started into a big fight that just carried upstairs into the laundry room where he hit her, she says, and shoved a dryer sheet in her mouth. Um, and that's the fight. Wait, why, why did she, why did he allegedly shove a dryer sheet in her mouth? Well, she said that... Um, he didn't like, this is according to Melanie, she said he really didn't like dryer sheets. It was like a thing with him. It was a random thing. He didn't like dryer sheets. What? And she said that she was, I know, I know. Well, actually, I don't like dryer sheets either, but that's fine. Um, she said they were, she was doing laundry, still doing the kids' laundry. <laughs> and, you know, she, I guess he saw her, uh, a dryer sheet fall out of one of the kids' sleeves. And she said it set him off and he was incensed. And he grabbed it and shoved it in her mouth. Wow, I like dryer sheets. <laughs> I mean, they prevent static. They smell nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, mean... I don't like them because I have sensitive skin, so <laughs> I don't like the allergies. And I do understand. I don't like the way they feel either. So I'm kind okay. of with Bill on this one. So you've never, you've never eaten one. You've never put it in someone's mouth. Never eaten one or shoved it in someone's <laughs> mouth. But so I use them in <laughs> now, uh, Melanie. Just speaking with with you for this podcast is sort of a big risk on her part, huh? She's waiting for an appeal? Yeah, her lawyer advised her not to. She's still in the federal appellate system. That's crazy to me. And then she said, no no way, lawyer. I'm going to I'm gonna speak to these two said, ladies. Don't tell me what to do, suit. Don't tell me what to do, suit. I know I got 100 <laughs> years here. Uh, she was done with her appeals in the state system, and she never even got close to getting any type of hearing. I think she's totally disgruntled with the appeal system and realizes that just trying to get the appeal. Um, it's a really, really, it's a long shot. And maybe I think she thought that putting the information out there might um, help to, in her words, uncover some new evidence that she could actually use for an appeal. Oh, sure. Very cool. Okay. All okay. Right. I like it. Yeah. I take back my crazy comment. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's one of her, if that's one of her, uh, you know, that's her strategy strategies, then, Hey, we've seen it work with podcasts, digging into cold cases and mysteries that, have pulled Listen, up things. Yeah. I think if she's innocent, then, you know, I understand why she would do this, right? If she's guilty, I understand why she would do this as well, because you have nothing to lose. So uh, I understand why she would do this either way, personally. And But right? what do you think? She's innocent or guilty? Just tell uh, us now. Nice try. Ah, oh, damn. Just, like, slip that right in there. Like, we'll like, <laughs> um, we, won't tell, we will tell you and everyone else on our last episode. Or at Crime Fest. Or at ah, Crime Fest. Ooh, yes. American Crime Fest will be happy to share. Actually, I think our episode comes out around then. It Perfect. comes out around then. We'll be happy to share our uh, opinions and how we came to them. Oh, that's and great. I and love, uh, 
we will also share on our panel our internal disagreements about some of these issues. Oh, right. um, perfect. That's going to be great. Yeah, there's going to be some uh, some some words, some 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 yeah. fire. Some thrown. Some. <laughs> uh, and right in her backyard too. Yeah, I know, right? In Jersey, right, yeah. right in the garden. I know. State. This is, I think, um, because it's Jersey, because it's you know Wildwood, which is also close to Atlantic City, it right? Is. Atlantic yes. City was a big theme in our case. Ah. Gambling. This is where his car was found. This is where mm-hmm. I think this. You know, I think we should get some real interest. Yeah, you guys couldn't have picked a more perfect place for hey, our well, podcast. More perfect, unless you're driving a Nissan Maxima. <laughs> better take your take your headlights with you when you go into the convention center. Um, good, I'm glad I don't drive a Maxima. No yeah. one's gonna want my Outback, my Subaru lights. So. Well, yeah, you never know. Uh, it could be a market by the time we get to uh, November. Um, I have a question about how his body was in the suitcases. Were they uh, were the body parts in a bag, like a trash bag or a tarp? A trash bag. And did she own these trash bags? Yes. Uh, well, that was a big debate at um, trial. So it depends on which expert you believe. There was one expert who testified for the state who said the bags um, were theirs, uh, came from their house. And there was an expert on her side who said, she didn't say they weren't. What she said is it's absolutely impossible to make that determination with the test yeah. that they ran. <clears throat> um, I actually, I'm not, I, I, we got some emails from other people Afterwards, um, uh, in particular, a forensic scientist who said um, that after listening to the testimony that um, Melanie's uh, expert was accurate and that they could not have made the determination without running the test um, that her expert said they should have run. So, But even if they did match the trash bags in her house, it doesn't matter. They were moving. They could have had trash bags in his car. You know, so a lot of these issues, to me, don't really matter. I agree. I don't think the plastic bag was a big, like... If you accept that the suitcases were in, a car, in his car, you can accept that he had trash bags in his car. They were moving. Right, sure. Yeah. yeah, I was going to ask, do we know that his suitcases were in his car? Or, like, as we he left? We don't know that. We don't know we don't. that. Okay. Okay, and how far in between, uh, time-wise, were the three suitcases discovered? So the fight that they had was the night of the 28th, uh, April 28th into the morning of the 29th. And then the first suitcase was discovered, I believe, on... May 5th or 6th, so about a week. And then the second suitcase was discovered shortly thereafter? Shortly after. So if the first was on the 5th, the second one was um, not even a week later, and then the third one was also about a week. So they were all found within a two-week kind of frame. And so Bill was missing during that that initial week before one suitcase was found. So what was Melanie doing during that week? Oh, she was doing a lot. She was very busy. So she says that, you know, immediately she took the kids to her parents. Um, She went to court. She was going to file or she did file a temporary restraining order. She said she was done. She got a divorce lawyer. She started apartment hunting. She changed bank accounts. She changed cell phones. She she had a pretty busy week and it was pretty well documented um, her moves over the week. So talk to everybody. She is on the phone constantly. She is doing everything, as she says, to move forward her divorce and her new life. So one could assume that they had that fight and that was one of many fights that set her off. 
and she was and he left and she was like i guess that's it that's my opportunity to to get out of here for good and that's that's the story that she was putting forward is that yeah. he, if you believe yeah and if yeah. you believe that story then it, all of her actions make sense yeah yeah over that because the alternative is that she kills her husband disposes the body cleans up everything to the point where there's absolutely no uh evidence at the at the uh townhouse and then she still has the wherewithal to dispose of the um, reciprocating saw, go about her business as if she's getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, I mean, if you're going to commit an impulsive murder, because it doesn't sound like this was planned because they had just closed on a house, then you have formulated this plan in your head pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oops. I could do it. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I wonder, um, you know, why he was taken to Virginia. I mean, that, that, that sounds interesting that he was so insistent on being in living in Virginia. And exactly then, well, where of, he was. One from. of our listeners wrote in and said, I wonder if this was her saying, well, you wanted to be in Virginia. Now you're in Virginia. You know, if it was symbolic. Yeah. That sounds a bit far fetched. Uh, well, potentially. Then, then you go but... back to like, it's thank an... you. I think yeah. that's far fetched as well. Yeah. It's seven hours away. Um, so I'm, but, you know, it's an okay. impulsive murder and you have yeah. children. Well, yeah, that's my question. When, when would she have had the time to drive down there back and forth with these suitcases with their, her, after I mean, cleaning up the he, mess or before cleaning up the mess? He left at 5 a.m. The kids were soon to be awake. Well, she dropped the kids off that, you know, she did drop the kids off at her parents' house okay. and she was, in um, Delaware, shopping for furniture, apparently, right? On, I think it was, I, I get the date wrong, but so either, I think it was May 3rd. Um, she was supposedly, she said she was furniture shopping in Delaware. And the prosecution says she was driving Bill's body to the um, to Chesapeake Bay. The timeline's very tight, though. The prosecution's timeline. Did she actually buy furniture? That's a whole other issue. She did not buy furniture, nor did she go into any store. I mean, Delaware doesn't have really good furniture anyway. Uh, Delaware doesn't have much. So uh, we, do you think Melody, I mean, uh, do you, is she lying about all this stuff? What do you think? What's your instinct tell you? That's clever. That's a good question. Yeah, you're trying to get there. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know they couldn't resist, like, the instinct part of it. I think you can read, I think there are parts of her story that seem very hard to believe and others that are quite believable. I think you kind of can read into my answer somewhat. Again, consistency is important for me, even if it seems ridiculous. And by the way, some of the parts of her story that I thought were ridiculous and that Amy and I said were, we got people who wrote in and said, not ridiculous at all. You, If you weren't involved in a relationship like this, you have no idea the stuff like, oh, sure. you know, it doesn't sound ridiculous to us. I thought the reaction would be completely the opposite, that people would be writing in like, no way did, would anyone do this. Um, so it depends. It really depends on what you think. Um, there are parts that I find very hard to believe, but there's only a few parts that I find hard to believe. Are there any cell phone records of her calling her? I feel a little differently. I don't know. Um, cell phone records, though, that's, you know, no, there's not. I don't, the cell phone thing is tricky because there's no tower records. There's cell phone records so they can see the, what the call, the calls they made. They can't see where they made them from. Well, that's frustrating because yep. that would be very easy to look at and see like, oh, there you, the cell phone is pinging off of every tower down to, uh, down to Virginia. Yep. Yeah, she's been very public about her um, desire to have those records come out and make them public. I mean, she calls for it regularly. Why can't this happen? All right. I think she might be innocent. Um, (laughs) Was was Bill having an affair? 
So Bill, they were able to reveal that Bill had had some affairs. It did not seem that he was engaged in the kind of, she was engaged in a long-term affair with one person. It seemed like he had, um, they brought out at trial at least two different um, brief, I would say Flings. brief flings yeah. or sexual encounters, mm -hmm. but it did not seem like he had a significant um, other at the time. Right. They checked out the husbands and, you know, because an obvious question would be, okay, he was sleeping with the wrong woman. The husband got pissed, right? But it's also was, possible that they didn't, I mean, that's two women that they found. Um, I should also mention that Bill, through his work, had a number of uh, devices. Uh, he had a number of phones, Blackberries, um, and they don't think that they located all the devices that he had. So there could be activity that um, was not found. Interesting. Could they tell? I'm just playing out scenarios in my head. Could they tell the distance uh, from which he was shot? It was close range. Close. Right. I'm playing out these scenarios that maybe they got into this altercation and he stuffed the dryer sheet into her mouth and maybe she pushes him and he falls and hits his head and she accidentally kills him. So then she's like, I got to make this look like and you're shaking your head. So I'm going to stop. Well, because there, were, there would be trauma to the head. There would yeah. be like, you know, blunt force trauma or something else. Um, they couldn't find any trauma to the, the skull. Any... I mean, I guess. Nice try, though. <laughs> I'm a detective. <laughs> were, were there any like signs of uh, like drugging or something? Yeah, so there was chloral hydrate, which is, could be a sedative, could also be used for other purposes as well. Where would you find chloral hydrate? So you'd have to get a prescription for chloral hydrate. Melanie was a nurse. Someone did write and fill a prescription for chloral hydrate. Um, however, it's not clear if it was Melanie or Bill who possibly forged the prescription for chloral hydrate. Um, chloral hydrate could have been used to sedate him before he was even shot. Wow. It was it wasn't found. I in know. His, there's a lot of layers here. So it wasn't. It was found in his car, the chloral hydrate, but it was not found in his system. But in fairness, he lost a lot of blood. It you know. They weren't able to test for it in the system. Let's just say that. So why would you take chloral hydrate? It's a sedative. You would take it like similar. I don't know why someone would choose that, but um, it's similar to or in the same family, I would say, as like a Xanax or. I thought know. it was more for to help you sleep. Some people that are on steroids take it. it, it I'm sorry. It's a sedative. So yeah, yeah. it's so a pill. You would take it to sleep if is, you have insomnia. Is a yeah. pill or a liquid? Yeah, it's a pill. It's a liquid. It's a liquid. Right. I, when you said it, I pictured the uh, movies where they put it on a rag and yeah. they put it against someone's face. Or oh, slip it in yeah. someone's drink. Or slip in it in someone's glass of wine. In their cup of red wine. Yes. Yeah. Well, if he had this uh, prescription and it was found in his car, it's plausible to think that maybe he left and he was heated and he was like, he took a couple of hits of the chloral hydrate just to just to chill, ch just to chill out. Yeah. Of course, that's yeah, possible. There's that so possible. many hypotheticals here. This is a really oh, interesting thought experiment. Barely that you scratching do. the surface on it. Yeah. yeah. So um, many. Was there any? So he had an affair at least with a couple of women, or at least a fling. Was there mm -hmm. any any mention or any history of an affair with a guy? No, that's a new one. No, Bill. You mean? Yeah. yeah. No, that's actually a good. That's a nice new theory. I hadn't thought of. I never thought of that. And well, no, that's all the time been. we have for today. No. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to Crawl Space. <laughs> leave, leave that one for you to roll around. 
Yeah, not not a theory, just a just a question. I'm I'm curious because um, I feel like Tim and Lance are going to come up with their own theories. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Gonna... This is awesome. Are you guys going to have a session on this? Your <laughs> we're going to do our own. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> we're going to just we're going to muscle you right out yeah, of it. We're going to do the intro <laughs> to you guys and leave you with five minutes. Forty five minute intro. <laughs> And we're like, we got these two. We got uh, time for Q and A. Yep. Got yeah. these, <laughs> we got these two philosophers coming out. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, that is an interesting question because there's a lot of crimes that happen when people are repressed. Well, and I, I hear that happening too. It's like yeah. uh you know, that is a thing that happens. I feel like yeah. married men end up in affairs with guys occasionally. Yeah. I mean, look at Michael Peterson. Right. I mean, there there are there, you know, and and the the wife sometimes has no clue. You know, I yeah. find, you know, you hear stories about that kind of often. So yeah, it's an interest. It's an possible. interesting thought. Anything's yeah. possible in this case. Yeah. So he gets into a fight. He's all heated. He takes his medication and he's kind of uh, kind of drowsy sitting in his car. Someone comes up. They're about to steal his headlights. He gets out <laughs> and he's like, not for the sixth time. I'm sorry to make light of this, but I don't mean to because I understand that there's a woman in prison for this and she and might someone not, dead. and someone dead. Uh, but I just keep getting hung up on that headlight thing. And I apologize. Yeah, no, I hear you. But actually, your theory, that theory is not implausible, right? No. That right. he's he has a gun and he gets in an altercation with someone. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just Melanie's bad luck that it all happened right mm-hmm. after. Um, they had an argument. Were, were, there, were there any construction sites nearby his car? Was anything under construction? Well, it was in Atlantic City. The so whole thing's under construction. Was, yeah. He wasn't definitely There's, in Atlantic City. I'm sorry, the car. You're yeah. asking the car. The car was in Atlantic okay. City, so yes. And there's lots of water there, too. Lots of water in New Jersey, by the way. So mm-hmm. if he's killed in New Jersey... Like, why go to West Virginia or why go to Virginia if Beach? If you're going to be dumping the suitcase in water. There's plenty of places to dump it. Like, if you don't think it's going to be found, uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, I'm driving there just to symbolically put you back in Virginia. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't think so. It's it's crazy. I, I'm getting hung up on these little things like the saw. Like, How do you saw up? How do you make that decision after well, you've impossibly killed also, somebody? Also, where do you do it? I mean, you, yeah, you got to go it get a in place the, in the woods or something like that. A but, hotel water. room. But well, a hotel room is going to leave a ton of blood everywhere. And there's going to be some record. And you need a plug. So you need like a generator. Or you need some kind of uh, outlet to, adapter. Yeah. Oh, can't do it in the woods. That's true. Yeah. I have a theory, but I'm not sharing it. Oh. Well, why even Amy tease? Almost, Amy almost gave it away, but but, but she. Uh, so I do have it. a theory about it. Yeah. What if we take two hours to guess it? <laughs> <laughs> be riveting podcasting. I feel like you could guess what it is, but you guys are on the right track. It's like where you you're not doing this in a regular house. Come on. It's a house that's under construction. It's a house that's being built. I Bobby's. find it like I, I it was I really wanted to ask the jury, like the jury who nobody would speak with us, but like how did I don't know how I would have asked it because it, my question really would have been how would you have did you really believe this version? Like, how did that not at least put doubt in your mind? You could, I mean, you realize that the reasonable doubt standard means that you can be almost certain, but still have some doubt. And mm-hmm. I don't see how they didn't have some doubt like a, after like a, sh- like a thread of doubt, story. like a yeah. little bit of doubt. I'm with you. I have the thread of doubt without without a doubt. What? Um, <laughs> what about gambling? <laughs> his uh, 
his gambling history. You mentioned that he that he's into the, or he was into that a little bit. How deep into that was he? Well, it's hard to know. It's I mean, the records show. Let's see. He, they were able to get his gambling records. He gambled. I think it was you know he was a blackjack player at was it the Tropicana. Um, I think it was the Tropicana, and so I think like the year before um, he died, he, he had gambled something in the range. Ninety thousand? No, 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 no. That was that something. Was that was something different. Uh, about about thirty, thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand. It doesn't seem like enough to get you killed. It wasn't like a high roller, you know. Yeah, but, I don't know. It's tough, tough to say. I feel like people can get killed over a lot less, but. That's true. Yeah. But we also, you know, here, um, like, for instance, we cover Brianna Maitland's um, case on on Crawl Space. And some people think that she was killed because of a dad. And that would have been like a grand or something like that. But it's really hard to believe that someone's killed because they're uh, the the killer is owed a debt. Like, you're not going to get that money back. Why would you get the money back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't actually think that it was related to gambling, to be honest. So what do you think? <laughs> that it was that was good. That it was unrelated <laughs> to gambling. Uh, okay. um, it seemed to me also that a lot of his gambling. I mean, I don't know. I it seemed legit gambling. Uh, I think he. You know, I don't. I wouldn't say whether or not he had a gambling problem or not. I think he gambled more frequently than you know someone like who goes to Atlantic City once in a while for a weekend. Um, was he in over his head? I'm not sure. Uh, we do actually have a forensic accountant now looking at, believe it or not, one of our listeners who's a forensic accountant volunteered to look at their financial records. Um, so we just sent her everything we have, and we're hoping that she can actually help and maybe shed a little light on this issue. Oh, that's um, awesome. Because there are some, I will say this. There's money missing. There's some unusual from what we saw banking transactions, uh, like large amounts of money either removed or deposited, mm-hmm. deposited that were... Melanie couldn't explain. She didn't also do any of their banking. He he did the financial stuff. Um, so I would I there's the potential for some uh, us to see whether or not something was going on. But I don't think it was gambling. That's all. No. Okay. I feel like if you're if you're involved with someone um, that you owe money to for gambling, it's probably got some sort of uh, like mob tie to it or some sort of you know bookie or something and and that type of murder doesn't feel like that's what that type of person no, would do. I don't think the way the body was disposed yeah mom. yeah that because usually it's like they like Tim said if you kill somebody who owes you money they're not going to pay you money so the only reason why you'd kill them is to send a message exactly. and to send a message you want to make sure that someone sees that they were killed in a certain way and also one of the suitcases had like a five pound weight in it you know like yeah. the mob knows how to dispose of a body they wouldn't use a five pound hand weight to weigh down the suitcase no interesting wow yeah. so you're in the mob Clearly. Oh, shit. You gave that away again? This is going to be a terrifying panel. I know, yeah. In Jersey. (laughs) Well, uh, in Wildwood. I know. I can't wait. You were going to put the wild in Wildwood. I thought we were. Wild in Wildwood. I actually think that's true. I think Amy definitely will. I think we are are really excited to actually um, host a panel on this and to be at. We'll have American a lot of visuals. Process. We'll have a lot of visuals for oh, people to see. We have a lot of, um, I guess, visuals. Yeah, we have a lot of people. stuff that we're happy to share. Oh my god! You know, it'd be awesome. You should bring a reciprocating saw, plug it in, and just fire it up so people can see and hear what this thing's all about. That's actually a great idea. I wasn't you kidding. Jo- it was my idea. Joking, though. It was, it was my idea. Like, I think that's great. I, I wrote it down and gave it to him before, <laughs> and he read it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually 
you know, and it reminds me of like this. So, you know, the OJ thing, if the glove doesn't fit, yeah. you must quit, right? We always say the uh, Melanie's defense should have just had her try to pick up a suitcase. And they would have been like, there's no way this chick can pick up a suitcase. Yeah, yeah. really? So, yeah. Visuals are very powerful. We did a test of that, you know, on our own. And then we're also going to Atlantic City. Um, We're actually going this weekend. um, And we are going to, uh, you know, gamble where build it. No, I'm just kidding. But we are (laughs) going to test a theory. Melanie had said that she moved his car. And that that was probably the hardest bit of information Mm -hmm. for me. It It is. It's the hardest bit of information for me to believe if I believe her story, um, which I just don't know based on this information. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, she said that she found his car in Atlantic City and she had moved it as a prank. And she described where she found it and how she saw it. So I'm like, is that even possible? So we're going to go and test out this theory. Could she have, based on where she said she was driving and saw it, is it even possible that it, she spotted his car? Could she even see a car or a license plate at the distance? And we're going to look for that missing gun. Yeah, we're going to yes. look for the missing We're going to find the gun. We're going to find the gun this weekend. Well, you're going to we'll have to. We'll bring it to Walgreens. We'll bring it to American Crime Fest. Yep. Yep, with the reciprocating saw. So I think the reciprocating saw needs to happen, and I think you need to bring a suitcase and load it up with some weights to see if uh, someone of her stature could pick it up. Uh, Tim's going to volunteer for that. <laughs> well, Amy already did that. Now I, we have a video on our website of me doing the experiment because I'm the same, same. Uh, weight and height as Melanie. And how did you do? And I could not lift it. We saw it on the But then I even, no, Amy couldn't lift it. She couldn't get any air on like anything until we dropped it down to 40 pounds. And I um, also went ahead, even though I weigh more, um, but I'm I'm like, I'm strong, you know, let's see. And I, I, I couldn't either. That's heavy. It is heavy. I think I got it like an inch off the ground on 60 You wouldn't be pounds, able to get it over a 40 inch round. But also I have more weight on her, so it wouldn't have been no way. I could and an inch off the ground. And I was like really trying. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm lifting this thing. Yeah. No. Well. I mean, I'll bench press it like 30 times if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Will you do that on our panel? Yes. We'll be like, this is so relevant to the case. Yeah. Are you going to wear the jacket to our panel? I I'm like never it. taking this jacket off. <laughs> awesome. You're going to have to take a reciprocating saw to this jacket to get it off me. <laughs> That's too it. good. That's too good. But uh, is that Joe Pesci in the background? Yes. Yes. What is yeah, he saying? I, uh, you know, it says, what do you mean funny? Funny how? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. Uh, well, you two are just funny. Funny yeah. how? Funny how? <laughs> like a clown? <laughs> well, thank you for joining us here on Crawl Space. so many more questions. I know. It's a fascinating case, and uh, and it's going to be an incredible panel presentation at the American Crime Festival in Wildwood, New Jersey, November 9th and 10th, 2019. I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait to meet you. Oh, and now we're getting a heart. We're getting a heart emoji and a slow clap emoji. (laughs) I'm going to give you my shocked emoji. We're super excited. Uh, That was a good face. We're super super excited for the conference. Um, We're super excited to be a part of it. Super excited to see you guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, we might think twice about bringing the gun and the saw just because we want to make it into the conference center. (laughs) Well, you can you can bring the gun and the saw if if you want, but um, as long as you tell people your theory right here, they can know what to expect. What to expect? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's put it this way: I theorize that Melanie did not shoot him or saw him up in her apartment. Mm-hmm.